Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for another day on your planet, breathing your air, Father God, in life. And Father, another day we get to study your word and draw deep from the wells and the depths and the riches of your word. Father, I pray for each person here this morning, Lord, the the, the importance of your word, the truth of your word, and the power of your word will grab our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you work mightily in each life, each heart, each mind as we go to study your word. Lord, change us, transform us by your word. Father, thank you for this time of worship. We've offered you a sacrifice of praise because you're so worthy and so amazing and so awesome. Now, Lord, we want to hear from you as we open the Bible and hear directly from your throne. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, if that's your prayer, please say amen. 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 You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Well, it's great to see you guys. I know everybody's happy after yesterday. Clemson won. Carolina won. Everybody else won. Most important teams won. So very thankful for that. But um, more, more than football, more than anything in life, I'm thankful for Sunday mornings. I'm thankful for Sunday mornings, and I'm, I'm thankful to be fellowshipping with you guys and, and diving into the Word. But my, I have a question for you before I get into my teaching, is how do you approach the Word of God? How do you approach the Word of God? Do you understand that when you open the Bible that God is speaking to you? God is speaking to you and me. He's holding a lifeline down to you and me. I was in the Navy. I was, in the, I was on the USS Eisenhower. And I remember one time we were on deployment and we had a young guy, a fresh new guy up on the flight deck and a jet was turning. And he, that young man was standing at the wrong place at the wrong time and he got blown off the flight deck of the aircraft carrier Eisenhower into the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, it was very scary. It was like, ah, he went flying off four stories off the flight deck into the ocean and the carrier's doing 30 knots, so they're having to turn around. And this young man was out there in the water and half, half two, but he's waving his arms. He's waving his arms, you know, for them to come and rescue. So we sent a helicopter out there to pick him up. And y'all seen the movies, y'all seen the shows. They, they drop a rescue swimmer down and they drop a rope down to rescue him from the ocean. Well, friends and family, you and I are like that sailor in the middle of the ocean, This world, all people are like the sailor out in the middle of the ocean. And God is like that helicopter dropping dropping down the lifeline saying, here, I've come to rescue you. I've come to rescue you. So when we open the Bible, understand that this is God's lifeline. This is God's lifeline. So let's, you know, let's open our hearts to the word and let's see what Jesus has to say. Because this is an amazing passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at. And let's pray that God grabs hold of our hearts as we study the word of God together. I'm very thankful that we get to open it and study it, that we have the freedom to do that. So um, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth here we're looking at in Matthew this morning. Lord, please open our hearts and speak to us. 
as we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So we've come to the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, 111 verses if you're counting, 2,475 words. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount has been called the Jesus Manifesto, the Magna Carta of Christianity. It is the key to the Bible. Everything from the Beatitudes to discipleship to being salt and light to prayer to the cure for worry and anxiety to storing up treasures in heaven to the attitudes of our heart. Not as we, what did we talk about last week? About not being judgmental and treating others like you wanted to be treated. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the Christian life. God is saying to us, family, this is what your life should look like when you serve me, when the Holy Spirit is flowing in us and through us, and we're spending time with the Lord and spending time in the Word, this is the beautiful life. And as with any sermon, if you've ever listened to any amount of sermons in your life, what does a pastor close his sermon with? An altar call or an invitation or an invitation. Okay, you've heard all this information. You've heard all this good stuff. Now, a preacher will say, now I want to invite you to come and make a commitment to Christ. I want to invite you to come follow Jesus. And where do we get that from? We get it from the Lord Jesus, because that's exactly what he does here in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us this beautiful illustration of the Christian life. And then here in these last verses, 13 through 29, um, 17, 16, 17 verses, whatever that is, he gives us an invitation to come and follow him. But when you follow Christ, you have to come to him on his terms. You cannot come to God on your terms. You have to come to his terms or you don't come at all. So I'm going to lay this out for you, this invitation that Christ is fixing to give us. The invitation is laid out like this. The right gate, the right teaching, and the right foundation. That is the flow of the text, and I'll show that to you this morning. Verses 13 through 14, the right gate, the right teaching, verses 15 through 23, and then the right foundation, verses 24 through 29. So this kind of gets your minds oriented in the direction that the, the Word of God is taking us. So without further ado, let's look at first the right gate. You got to go through the right gate if you, if you want to come to Christ. Verse 13, it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So opening up here, Jesus tells us, he tells us and he tells all humanity, there are only two gates in life. There is no third gate, Okay. There is, there is no option three. Every single person upon the face of this planet, including you and I, are either entering through the narrow gate or we're on the uh, wide gate. There is no third gate. Let's talk about the wide gate. The wide gate is very wide. And the wide gate says, I'm going to give you some things that the wide gate is characteristic of. Things that 
that lead to the wide gate. Number one, the wide gate says, follow your heart. Follow your heart in life. Follow your heart. Don't follow the word of God. You follow what's most important in, in your heart, in your mind. And our, our hearts can be deceived. Our hearts can, can, be, can fall to deception. So we don't even follow our own hearts. We follow the word of God. The second thing the wide gate says, follow your desires. Follow your desires. Live like you want. It's your life. Do what you want, and you live it up. That is what the wide gate offers. In the wide gate, there, there's no repentance. There's no commitment to Christ. And the wide gate leads to destruction in this life and eternity in hell. And the scripture says there, look at the text, many will choose this path. Many will choose this path. It's like you, people, everybody in this, on this planet comes to a crossroad. They're going to go left or they're going to go right. There's the narrow gate and there's the wide gate. We do not want to go down the wide gate. And we want to tell as many people as possible, don't go through the wide gate. Go through the narrow gate. Go through the narrow gate to find Christ. The narrow gate, on the other hand, what the text says, it says it's small. It's a very small gate. It leads to eternal life. And what does it say? Only a few will find it. Listen to what Jesus said, a parallel statement in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. What you need to understand is for salvation is this. The narrow gate is Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself. It is not church membership it is not baptism. It is not giving. It is, it, the, the narrow gate is you and I and people in this world putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the narrow gate. And notice, um, excuse me, in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, whoever, um, whoever enters through. And if you look at Matthew chapter 7, Verse 13, he also says that same phrase, enter through. You know, it, it, many people like to look at the gate. Many people like to look at Jesus. They like to look at the gate. Many people like to hear about the gate. Many people like to admire the gate, but they never enter through the gate. Have you entered through the gate? That's, what, that's, what's being, that's, that's the focus here. Have you entered through the gate via repentance and faith in Christ Jesus? Okay? We think about these beautiful golden gates and these beautiful uh, gates that you see all around the world. People like to look at them. People like to take pictures. People like to study about them. But that's not enough to study it, to look at it, or admire it. we got to enter through. And Jesus says, for salvation and narrow gate, you got to enter through him. You got to go through him. And you enter through this gate. You experience and walk through this gate when you receive Christ 
as your Lord and Savior, and you turn from your sin, and you follow him. That is the narrow gate. You're a member, you, you, you have membership role with a church, that's great. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't get you through the gate. Jesus gets you through the gate. Remember that, family. Remember that. By grace alone, through, uh, by, by grace alone and fa- through faith alone and Christ alone is what our salvation is. And now as we switch to verse 15, so enter through the right gate. Jesus is the gate. Now in verse 15, Jesus is going to warn us of false teachers. And my teaching point as we look at this portion is you got to be under right teaching and you got to know your Bible, okay? You, you, you've got to be a student of the Word. You've got to study the Word. You've got to spend time studying God's Word so you, can dis, so you can discern what is true and what is false. But let's look at it. Verse 15, Jesus' is warning on false teachers. Verse 15, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know, just, just want to stop right there. Nothing can destroy authentic devotion to Christ quicker than false teachers and false teaching because they, 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 they take away from the Word of God, which is liberalism. They add to the Word of God, which is legalism. Or they just outright distort the Word of God. The gospel is simple. It's plain. It's easy to understand. You repent of your sins, you put your trust in Christ, and you live your life for him. But false teachers want to come in and add a whole bunch of stuff and twist the scriptures to mean things it doesn't clearly say in the text. You know, false teachers, they look good on the outside, but inside they are ravenous wolves. That word ravenous, it means vicious, ferocious, and destructive. And this goes right in line with what Peter says. Listen to what Peter says about false teachers and false prophets. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So what do, what do heresies do? What do false teachings do? What does the word is placed before heresies? They're destructive. They're destructive because they, they, they kill authentic devotion to Christ. And notice he says they secretly introduce. You're never going to meet a false teacher that's got false teacher across his chest. Or he's got a hat that says, I'm a false teacher. Okay? You, they're, they're never going to come at you that way. They're going to come at you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And the quickest way to introduce destructive heresies is to get away from Bible study, to get away from the Word of God and not understand it in its clear, easy-to-understand format that it's been given to us. False teachers destroy authentic devotion to Christ. One, they, they throw you into legalism and you're not even trusting in Christ no more, but you're doing all these religious works and you're trusting in church attendance and you're having to give and, and you're having to do, 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 do. Christianity is not a matter of do, do, do. It's done, done, done at the cross. And that is salvation. So how can you identify? How can you identify 
these ravenous wolves? How can you identify the false teachers? Let's let Jesus define it for us. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Well, actually, I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. And there's a, a key word in verses 16 through 20. See if you can pick it up when we get to the end. It's used seven times. And that's the word I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on. It says, verse 16, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree that bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. I think you know it by now. (laughs) Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. This is how you identify a false teacher. This keyword fruit. A false teacher can be identified by two things. By the fruit of their doctrine and the fruit of their life. And it's perfectly normal when, you, when you, there's a teacher you want to listen to, a church you want to go to. You need to go to the pastor. You need to go to the church. You need to find out who the organization is. You need to find out what their doctrinal statement is. Do they hold to the core truths of, of Christianity? Some questions you might want to ask is, where do you stand on Scripture? Where do you stand on Scripture? Do you believe it is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God? There's no wiggle room there in my book. It is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And and a a false teacher may disagree with that. And they, they they won't hold to that truth. Where do you stand on Jesus? Where do you stand on Jesus Christ? This is a salvation issue. Do you believe in his deity? Do you believe in his virgin birth? Do you believe in his death on the cross? Do you believe in his resurrection from the dead? Do you believe he's coming back again? That's the whole point of this entire book from Genesis to Revelation. It's Jesus. And we have to hold to everything the scripture holds, stands, speaks of, and teaches on concerning Christ. And false teachers will, will twist these. False teachers will twist these. Uh, do you teach that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? You know, what, what the Protestant Reformation brought us back to. What the, what the, uh, the, the church had gotten all messed up into legalism and government and all this stuff. And they just completely twisted the scriptures. And Martin Luther and the Reformation brought us back to by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The truth that will set people free is, is, is in Christ so we, we teach that. We hold to that. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's about knowing him as your Lord and Savior. They have to hold to these doctrines. Then you look at their life. You look at the life of the, of the people that you open your heart to, to receive teaching from, whether it be online or TV or your local church. You look at their life. Do they live a life of humility? Do they live a life of faithfulness? and serving Christ. Those are the fruits. That's what he's talking about here. He says, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying here, it's not just a matter of prayer, but it's a matter of examining and and looking at the life of the teacher, looking at the life of the ministry. Do they live a life of humility and humble service? You know, are they driven by greed? False teachers are driven by greed. That has no place in the church. That has no place in ministry. They're driven by the love of money. Show me the money, as Tom Cruise said. You know, 
that has no place in the body of Christ. We're not driven by the love of money. We're driven by the love of God and the love of Jesus. You know, we are, false teachers want power. You know, I have no authority over your life other than to give you spiritual counsel and teach you the Bible and encourage you, challenge you, um, even confront sometimes. But, but again, it's, it's not about power. It's not about fame. It's not about fame. It's not about who's the most popular. You know, none of those things matter when it comes to the life of a servant or a ministry, a, a, an individual teacher, a ministry that you follow. It's not about greed. It's not about the love of money. It's not about power, and it's not about fame. But here's the big thing. Here's the point, the application that I think each of us need to hear when it comes to this area of false teaching and, and good fruit and bad fruit, and it's this. The way that you and me can spot false doctrine is we've got to know right doctrine. We've got to know right doctrine. And the way to know right doctrine is to read your Bible. Is to read your Bible. Read your Bible. Be a student of the Word. Be a student of the Word. Grow, family, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Spend time in the Word. Meditate on passages. And then stand firm on the Word of God. Scripture and Scripture alone is sufficient. It contains everything you need to know for life and godliness. So if someone comes to you with literature on Mormonism or the seven steps of enlightenment or some other extra biblical writings, say, no, thank you. Actually, you can take it, but then put it in the trash can. Everything we have, everything you need, Christian, is found between Genesis and Revelation. It's a safeguard, and it will cause you to grow in grace and love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we, get, we gotta have, um, we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful that we're listening to solid Bible teaching and that we grow in respect to our salvation. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Verses 21 through 23, you know, I, I like to study things in context. And I like to say that verses 21 through 23 is the fruit of false teaching. With that in mind, let's look at verses 21 through 23 of um, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will, and this is, this, is a, this is a frightening statement right here. This is a sobering statement. We might let it sit up here for a while just so we can read it and look at it because it's scary. It's sobering. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This, family, is one of the most sobering statements that Jesus ever made. And I just want to leave it up there because he's, he's saying there, many will prophesy, many will cast out demons and perform miracles. But what does Jesus say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I've heard this verse quoted a lot 
a whole lot. But a lot of times when people quote it, they, they, will, um, they will stop with, I never knew you. Depart from me. I, I never knew you. So who is Jesus referring to here in this passage? Who, look at the last four words of verse 23. Let's let Jesus define who he's talking about. He says, the last four words of verse 23, he says, you who practice lawlessness. What Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about people who do not exercise biblical repentance. That's what he's talking about here. These are people who confess Jesus with their mouth. They say they're a Christian, but there's no repentance there's no turning away from sin. Matter of fact, they'll, they'll think that, that grace is a license to continue in sin. But is the grace of God a license to continue in a life of rebellion? Is, is that even possible? Thank you. Roman, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. I don't think I put this on the slide. But it's Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he answers the question in verse 2. May it never be. May it never be. He, says, he asks a rhetorical question. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, don't misunderstand me. Scripture does not teach that you and I will be perfect. All believers... Yes, all believers, including you and I, we wrestle with sin. We fight against sin. It comes against us. Sometimes we win the battle. Sometimes we lose the battle. But in the heart of the Christian, you will have a new attitude. You will have a new attitude towards sin. You will not love it and embrace it, but you will fight against it. And if you do fall, and sometimes Christians fall, I, Sometimes Christians fall. Sometimes it will happen. What do you do? You repent. You shake the dust off and you get back up. That's what the grace of God is for, for the Christian who falls. You know, as they fall, they identify it. They get up, they shake the dust off. They say, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And they get back on the path of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not an entire lifestyle of ongoing continual acceptance, way of life, living in sin. Following Jesus is about turning from sin. And then after you turn from the sin, then it's about uh, joining the fight club. Joining the fight club through discipleship, through accountability, through growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that you can guard your heart. Guard your heart from temptation. Man, it's facing all of us. Every single person in here, if you think about it, you're tempted. You're tempted probably on a daily basis through billboards, through smartphones, through the temptations of this world. Every single one of us are facing it. But here's the difference between, the, between you and I and the world. The world loves it, lives in it, and it's their way of life. You and I are fighting against it. You and I are fighting against it. And we're waging war against the flesh, being yielded to the Spirit, serving the Lord. So, so again, the, uh, you need to be under right teaching. 
You need to be under right teaching so you don't fall for the seduction of false teaching under clear biblical exposition of Scripture. Finally this morning, let's look at the right foundation. The right foundation. And that starts in verse 24. See what Jesus here says about the right foundation. And again, every person in this world, you're either on the rock or you're on the sand. Okay? There's not a third option. And we have to ask ourselves as we look at this text, is my life on the solid rock, the foundation, or is it on the shifting sand? Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Man, a wise man. Who wants to be wise in this life? Who wants to exercise wisdom? Don't we all? Well, what does Jesus say here? A wise man is one who hears God's word or reads God's word in your devotion and you respond in humble obedience. That is wisdom. That word wisdom, you know what the word wisdom means? It's, it's, it's the art of skillful living. Do you want to live skillfully? Do you want to live biblically? Do you want to serve Christ from a pure heart? Have wisdom. Listen to the word of God and do what it says. And look at verse 25. It says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, the rain, the flood, and the winds of verse 25, these are tribulations and the persecutions that come in this life, okay? Christian, you will experience tribulation in this life. Jesus promised it. You will experience persecution in this life. Jesus promised it. You will experience difficult times. You will experience a war with sin, you will experience a fight against temptation. But what happens when you build your life on the Word of God? He holds you, He keeps you, and He protects you. Your life does not fall apart in the storm or persecution. And we are not shaken because we know who is on the throne. And the Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. He is that firm rock, that firm foundation. He is the one that we can look to and build our life upon, okay? Not just believe in him, not just worship him, but build your entire existence on this earth, your entire life, your career, your, your marriage, your life, and everything there is in life, you can build it on this foundation, you can build on this foundation, and you're using wisdom when you do that. It's the smartest thing you could do in this life, is have this solid foundation. Look at verse 26. This is the opposite. This is the foolish. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, there's, I love going to the beach, by the way. I love going to the beach, and I love putting my toes in the sand and out there. But you ever notice if you stand up close to the surf, you stand in the sand, as the water starts lapping, what happens to your feet? It starts going down. It starts going down. 
And that's what it's like to build your life upon the things of this world. It will begin to sink. But if you go out there on the beach and you find a nice solid rock, big boulder to stand on, you stand on that boulder. When the waves come up, do you start sinking? No, because your life is founded on the rock. But a foolish man is someone who hears God's word and they don't respond. It's, it's, it's being foolish. They ignore scripture. They know what it says, but they don't care. That's foolish. A foolish man's life is built on the shifting sands of the culture. And the culture and the world's standards are constantly changing. If you don't like where they are today, give it a couple days, give it a week, it'll change. It's constantly shifting to the left, to the right, up, down. It's all over the place. But the firm foundation that never changes because it's eternal and it's from heaven above is the foundation of God's word. Let's commit. You commit. I commit building our life upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Building your marriage upon the foundation of Christ. Building your life. Your, everything that you have. It is the only sure foundation. Verse 27. He says, this is the, talking about the foolish man. Look at verse 27. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. If your life is not built on Jesus Christ, it will all come crashing down in this life and in the life to come. It will fall apart. It will, it will sink like there in the beach, like in quicksand, it will sink because your foundation is not solid and your foundation is not built on Christ. Friends and family, place your foundation on Christ and you won't sink. You won't sink. There's only one solid foundation and it cannot be shaken. It does not matter who's in political power or how bad the world gets or, or how good it gets. This, this foundation it can withstand the fiercest storms this world can dish out. And again, that foundation for your life is this, faith in Jesus. Faith in the cross. Faith in his resurrection. Faith in almighty God above. That is our firm foundation. And under the umbrella of that foundation of faith in God is our foundation in, in the word of God building our life upon the precepts of Scripture. That's why we teach it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so we can learn from it, grow, and apply it to our lives. One of my favorite Bible teachers who I, who I feel like I've learned to teach the Scripture from, uh, Steve Lawson says this. He says, you read it, you explain it, and you apply it. Every single passage of Scripture, everything that's in the text there's meaning that we need to dig out by, by studying the context and understanding it so we can have understanding in our minds of what the Bible's saying. But then we have to bring it forward to 2022. And that is we have to apply it to our lives. That is a solid foundation. I gave my life to Christ in 1992, in the spring of 92. And he has been faithful ever since. But the one thing that family, I've, I've always press forward in, and I believe the thing that's kept me is keeping Christ at the forefront of my life, keeping him at the center, remembering that 
more than anything, it's about serving Jesus. And it's about spending time in his word. My heart, and, I, and I've just been, I, I was just so overwhelmed by the love of God and the truth of God. I just can't get away from the Bible. I can't get away from scripture. When my heart wanders and my heart grows cold, and it does sometimes, I remember the warmth and the comfort that came, that comes from the word of God. And it draws me back to this foundation. So my life is built on the foundation, but there are times in life where I drift to the left or I drift to the right, and I start feeling a little bit of quicksand. I start feeling the foundation starting to sink. And what do I do? I get back on the solid rock. I get back on the solid rock. So maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like your life has drifted away from the solid rock. Your life is not on that firm footing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel like everything around you, you're going down like it's quicksand. Friends and family, get back on the rock. Get back on the rock. The rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. The firm foundation of his word. Is your life built on this solid foundation? This is the only foundation that will last in this world, in this one and the world to come. Let's finish it up. Verses 28, 29. And actually, I want to read chapter 8, verse 1. He says, And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. You know, Jesus, what was it have been like to hear Jesus' words there? We can only imagine what it was like to hear his voice there on the mountainside as he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount. But one day, you and I will get to hear his voice. That amazing, uh, that voice that amazes us when we get to heaven, when we hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. One day we'll hear him. And look at verse 29. He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. One of the purposes of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus was bringing correction to the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. They had twisted the scriptures. They, they said it they were saying it meant something that it didn't mean, and he corrects them, and he does it with authority. You know, he does it with authority. Our authority, our, 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 the thing that drives us forward is the Word of God and, and teaching it and learning it and growing from it. But he was teaching them as one having authority. He had all authority, all right? <clears throat> he was God, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke in the universe came into existence is there on this mountainside on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee speaking. And look at chapter 8, verse 1. I love this. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Now, no doubt, some people were just mesmerized by his teaching. Some people liked what he said. But I can't help but to think, I can't help but to wonder because the text doesn't tell us how many of those Jesus' words just grabbed their heart. And they were like, man, I don't know who he is, but I've heard the voice of heaven, and I am going to follow him. That was their thought. It says they, they, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. We follow Christ when we hear his voice, when we hear him knocking on our hearts, when we hear him pre speaking to us, through our Bible studies, when you hear it through the preaching and teaching of Scripture, you, we uh, hope that you hear Christ's voice. And I hope that you hear, every one of us hears, that loving, kind invitation 
that he extends to everyone to come follow me. This is a beautiful sermon. He said 2,475 words, 111 verses, three chapters. It was, the, it was uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he closes here with an invitation to follow Christ. I close with this. Is your life on the solid foundation? Is your life on the solid foundation? Are you building your life on the truths and the precepts of God's word and faith in Christ Jesus? Are you doing that? Are, are you entering in through that, that gate, the right gate, entering in through Christ? Remember, that's what salvation is. And then the right teaching. Are, are you spending time studying the word, listening to good Bible teaching? And understanding. And then finally, are you building your life upon the foundation? That's what we're doing here, guys. In the spirit realm, I'm like a concrete truck. We're in here and we're pouring concrete. We're laying the solid foundation of our spiritual walk with Christ. This is the life that will not be shaken, built on faith in Christ, resting and trusting and believing in the truths of Scripture. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you, Father, for the, um, this invitation you've given. Lord, I pray that each of us this morning will take this invitation to heart, Lord. And if there be anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you will help them today to enter through the right gate, to come to you in repentance and faith, come to you saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And then... They follow the right teaching, their Bible. They commit to reading their Bible and growing in grace and growing in truth. And then finally, Lord, the right foundation. Help us to understand this truth that we have to build our life on the foundation of your word. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.